Football Americas live and underway finally here on ESPN Plus episode 265. You're looking at Las Vegas, which along with San Diego is where the Gold Cup is headed next. The semifinals are set. We got Mexico against Jamaica Wednesday in the Sin City. And then down in Southern California, also Wednesday, the United States against Panama. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, we had to wait a little bit for this edition of the show, but it's good to be with you. Where are you right now? I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada, as you can see behind Already? me, Allegiant Stadium, home of uh, my Las Vegas Raiders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awaiting the semifinal between what we know now is Mexico and Jamaica, as your boy predicted it would be. Uh, I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A little bit of, that we had to wait as long as we did to get into this show. We got a lot to get to, uh, including a one-on-one -on -one with Trinity Rodman, who of course had a big game as the U.S. Women's National Team played their final match before heading over to the upcoming Women's World Cup. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but we got lots to get to, as we said. All of the Gold Cup action now wrapped up. We know who the Final Four will be. An amazing set of quarterfinal games, and let's get uh, or start things off, Herc, shall we, with the game that just wrapped up between the United States and Canada. Oh, we do have the highlight ready, all right, baby. Look at production coming in hot. Excellent work uh, from our crew out in Los Angeles. The quick turnaround as we get ready for the uh, this game, which was, of course, uh, at TQL Stadium in Cincinnati. 18 minutes in, Julian Gressel operating from the flank, finds Gianluca Busio, who skims it wide, Herc. Yeah, it's called the shank. Uh, he just tries to instep that, no power, missteps it. Yeah, that's not dangerous. Junior Hoylett, this is dangerous. Brian Reynolds, almost an own goal. Yeah, but check out Brian Reynolds. He checks his defender right there, or his attacker right there. Does a good job. It's circumstantial, but he does the job. To first half stoppage time, which of course was very long because one of the assistant referees had to be replaced due to injury. Miles Robinson upon VAR review looks like a handball, Herc, but they found a foul on the Canadian team. What'd you make of this? All right, it's a handball, yes it is, but there's a push, there's a shove. Bambito Ambuzio gets called back. Jesus Ferreira, chance deep into first half stoppage time, kind of scuffs it into the ground, and Dane St. Clair, who had a pretty busy game, makes the save, 68th minute. U.S. attacking. Buzio again into the box. First shot, denied by the defender. St. Clair with the save. He's got to reach for this, and that's the air right there. It's the second bite of the apple. He reaches to it, not enough power. Great save by Day St. Clair. Buzio, busy. Cade Cow in off the bench to Brandon Vasquez, the left-footed ball. He didn't miss by much. Yeah, but immediately getting into the box, immediately making an impact. Having his presence felt, Vasquez not far off. From there, he goes straight to the penalties. Of course, it was 1-1 at the end of regulation, 2-2. After 120 minutes, Jesus Ferreira stepping up, just sliding it in. And then Canada needing to convert off the underside of the crossbar. Matt Turner had made a couple big stops, including one on Steven Vittoria, right down the middle to start the penalty shootout. And the United States survives in penalties uh, advancing to the semifinals over Canada. Herc, a crazy game. Where do you want to start breaking this one down? Anywhere you want, Seb. I mean, I guess just overall impressions uh, of the game was uh, it was a miserable game. 
it, it wasn't a good 90 minutes of football by any means. Both teams actually started playing around the 80th minute. Would have saved everybody a lot of time, a hell of a lot of time, if they would have just let us know. 80 minutes of my life back. Um, in between the boxes, non-operative. I forgot that Dane St. Clair, the Canadian goalkeeper, and Matt Turner, the U.S. men's national team goalkeeper, are actually playing in this game. Um, you had lifeless, at times rough on the eye, uh, without any idea or spirit. Again, in between the boxes. And, mm-hmm. and then when it finally got into the boxes, it was very circumstantial. It was very sloppy. It was very nor here nor there. It was just a rough game to watch just in general. Yeah, I thought the first half especially was was really rough. I don't know which broadcaster you were watching. If you watched in Spanish on TUDN, Michele Giannone did a, a halftime hit after he just talked to BJ Callahan. He said Callahan was mad that he yelled at the team. That's not something we really expect from an interim manager, but he laid into him apparently. And, and I think there was some, some type of response, Herc, there in the second half. But you shot us a text to producer Beto and I right around a halfway point, and you were very upset with the American approach. What specifically did you not like? Well, there's a few things I didn't like. Uh, for example, you have Jesus Ferreira there playing against a center-back team like the Canadian national team that are big, they're physical. They would love for you to just go out wide and launch crosses into a very, very undersized Jesus Ferreira. That is not his game. And what did the U.S. do? That's exactly what they did. I remember sending producer Beto a text. I'm like, is there any way we can get stats on the amount of crosses this team has sent in? In about 70th minute, he, saw me, he sent me one back that stats and info on ESPN had sent him a note that 16 crosses, only four of them were successful to Jesus Ferreira. Now, I understand having Julian Gressel, Gressel there, excuse me. If you have a Brandon Vasquez, Julian Gressel strikes a good ball. He whips in a good ball. Okay, you need to have somebody in the box who can be that target for him. Not Jesus Ferreira. And, and mm. if it's Jesus Ferreira and you're going to go with Jesus Ferreira because he's a goal scorer and he scored six goals for you this tournament then it shouldn't be Julian. And, and, and if it's not Julian there, or Julian, excuse me, Gressel, um, the other side of the field can be somebody who just tucks in, who likes to perform centrally to allow the center back or the outside back to get beyond him. It can't be a player like Sendejas. I just felt the overall formation of this team or construction of the team against Canada played right into the hands of the Canadian national team. I want to give Brandon Vasquez some love. He's obviously the goal scorer that, that kind of prolongs this game. And, and at one point, you know, really, I think if you look at guys who have boosted their stock here, it's Brandon Vasquez. It's not just the goals he's getting. It's when he's getting them. It's the fact that he's getting them off the bench. I think the first first player in Gold Cup history to score three goals in the same tournament off the bench. But, Herc, what I found really interesting was that when Brandon Vasquez comes on, I assumed 100% it would be for Jesus Ferreira instead Ferreira stays on, and we finally get a glimpse of Jesus Ferreira. I don't know if it was in a second nine position or in the true 10, but in the position I'm assuming that is what you say is his best position, right? Where you want to see him. So what did you make of Jesus Ferreira when we finally saw him where everybody says is his best spot? Yeah, I mean, it could be his best spot, but you put Brandon Vasquez in there and Julian Gressel's still in there and he's still launching crosses. So all you're doing is you're hoping that Jesus Ferreira can maybe somehow get on the end of those crosses. You're hoping that Jesus Ferreira can turn and create something. Jordi Mihailovic, a lot of fight, um, a lot of tracking back, a lot of ground cover, but not much to show for it in the offensive end, especially for a person or a player of his quality. Uh, it wasn't his night. You had other players. I thought Buzio was a little rough um, throughout the game. Uh, as well, Dijon Jones had a beautiful ball in, uh, mm-hmm. but those type of 
actual plays, those type of actual balls in that are for a forward, uh, have a lot to offer in the term that all you have to do is attack it and you can see the frame. Few and far between. They, they were very hopeful into the box against a Canadian national team that just was content with sitting, content with defending. There wasn't a lot of creation and that's been, honestly, for Greg Berhalter's team, because this still is Greg Berhalter's team, that's been their Achilles heel. When a team sits on them, sits back in bunkers, they're not creative enough. Creative enough. They don't know how to break teams down. Now, we saw the A team in the Nations League against Canada do that at times, but that Canadian team was also trying to press them, was trying to run with them. We've not seen them do that a lot of times, and especially this team, this A group, uh, that's not their strength. They run in transition, they got players that are good uh, in 1v1 situations, but when you force them to try to break you down through creativity, through associative play, they struggle. And I saw a lot of that tonight. Herc, we've talked about this a lot. This is not the USA team, right? There's a lot of guys in this group who are probably not going to be on the 2026 squad, or at least right now you would say maybe best bet, it's a 50-50. One of the guys who I think we do project to potentially be in that, in that squad and have an important role is Miles Robinson at center back. Obviously, he gets away with one handball, but the second one is costly. Potentially could have been what keeps this U.S. team from advancing. What did you make of Miles Robinson's performance, given the fact that we do potentially see him as an A-list player for this, for this team? Yeah, I thought those plays were circumstantial. Uh, defensively, I thought Two the center backs didn't have much to do. Matt Turner didn't have much to do. Yeah, I mean, listen, yeah, it's circumstantial. It, one, one is a head, header that goes off your hand. There was a foul before. What are you going to do? That's, that's the game. You don't control where the ball goes uh, if you're trying to attack a corner and defend. That's not what you do. And the other one, yes, that is a play where you have to be smart. The player's not going to turn on you. You've got help. You've got cover. You don't necessarily have to get that tight, that close. You can manage the game. That was a poorly managed play. But other than that, with the ball at his feet, I thought he was good. I thought he was good at progressing the ball. I thought he was good at actually finding players in space. But this was a game where, for the center backs at least, I thought it was easier than it should have been. And I thought out of the two center backs, if one of them struggled, that Jalen Neal at times uh, got caught. But I think that's his him being physically not at 100%. You got to remember, Jalen Neal, this is his first season as a professional. And I think... In a tournament like this, you saw him hit a wall physically. You see the tape, the Kinesio tape on both knees. He's a player that looked like he was struggling a bit physically, so I don't want to harp on him too much. Um, but I thought out of the center backs, Jalen, or excuse me, uh, Miles Robinson was was decent. Hey, Herc, how, do, how good do you feel about the U.S. options off the bench? Because even before the game started, I was looking around, and, and there's not a ton of attacking options. If the U.S. got into a situation, and they did tonight where they needed a goal, there wasn't too much. You could bring on Kate Cow. You could bring on Brendan Vasquez. Uh, but the player that they end up bringing on when they need a goal late is Christian Roldan. And this is not to attack Christian Roldan. He has his qualities for Morris. sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they bring Jordan Morris on in the 90s. I mean, I think Jordan Morris is an attacking player, at least. Whatever you want to say about him. Is Christian Roldan really the guy that, that you're going to bring on when you need a goal? If I'm B.J. Callahan, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about my options when it comes to Goals late in the game. If I need to tack off the bench, that, that's maybe one spot we learned that the U.S. isn't as deep as they might need to be in this tournament. I mean, we say that, and I think they've got the most goals in the tournament, right? But we're saying that because of the pool of players that we see the U.S. men's national team have. And we can sit here and criticize, but who else would they have put in? Think about this for a second. I mean, Cade Cal comes on. Sendejas comes off. Julian Gressel comes off. You know, you, you have Morris on there who I know 
people can say whatever they want about him, but he's got goal scoring experience. He's actually, yeah. if you recall, the last time they played was 2017, the Gold Cup final. He scored the game winning goal against Jamaica. Christian Roldan, for as small as he is, He's a player that gets on the end of things in Major League Soccer. He scores a lot of goals on set pieces, anticipates well. So it's difficult because yeah. we can go back and we could say they shouldn't have been on the squad. We, you know, we, we, we should have picked, they should have picked somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're in this position. Who else could you have gone with in theory if you think about it? That's just the depth of this team, this team that they brought. That's not really what worries me. What worries me is when a team like Canada, who I think is – individually talent wise limited in comparisons to what you have can bring you down to their game make it physical make it a go toe to toe make it a who has more heart who has more was that on her because that on the players the coach that for way. allowing that to happen i think that's on both i first on bj callahan because that's his team right that's his squad that's who he picked uh, and then it's on the players because you're on the field what are you doing? You're representing yourself and you're representing your country. So that's on both of you. But they don't want to get into that type of game. You get into that type of game with Canada, it's going to be Canada all day. And it almost was Canada all day. I mean, they should have stole this 2-1 and not even steal. They should have won 2-1. Mm. If you think about this, it, this, if they manage this game well, and I know we could say the same thing about the U.S. men's national team, but you're in overtime, extra time, and they get a sensational goal. Like that, Shadowberg, uh, Schaffelberg, um scoring a goal like that. That's an injection of life for your team, and it immediately puts the opponent in the state of mind that the game is over. It should have been over, and yet you allowed the U.S. men's national team to come back. It's an own goal. It's circumstantial, but you allowed them to be in your box and find a way to come back into this game. That's not the type of game the U.S. men's national team wants to be in. You know, they, they want to prove their quality. I just think when you look at this team, you really do realize, and you shouldn't be upset, that this is the B team. This is what it is. It's not your A team. You can sit here and say, well, if Christian Pulisic was here, well, if you know uh, you had Gio Reyna here, well, if you had Florian Balogun or Ricardo Pepe or whatever you want to say, this is who you have because you chose that way. Because U.S. soccer told us that this was a second-rate tournament. This wasn't an important tournament. How did they tell us that? They told us that Greg Berhalter had bigger things to do big ticket items Seb the head coach of the U.S. men's national team couldn't coach this national team so should we really be that surprised and should fans really be that upset at almost losing to Canada but not losing to Canada importantly we should point out the U.S. did advance I feel like we're getting very negative here let's let's pick out one positive because I know you said her well that's that he style. wasn't very busy and that is true he wasn't very busy throughout the 90 minutes but Matt Turner, again, plays an absolutely massive role for the U.S. And we talk about guys who are actual World Cup A-listers. Matt Turner is very clearly that. He told the Federation he didn't want to break, that he wanted to do both tournaments. Some might say that's amazing. I think maybe it's a little bit selfish. He wants to hold on to that number one job. I don't blame him. But boy, Herc, against Jamaica, he's the difference. And that is the difference between them finishing first or second in the group. And then in this game, again, he is the difference. And especially on that first penalty against Steven Vittoria, who he'd already been beaten by once. I mean, what a big mental win for Matt Turner. He's not just a good goalie anymore. He's a very confident goalie. And that's, that's dangerous when you get into what the U.S. is always talking about winning now, which is these knockout round games. Matt Turner tonight, even when he's not busy, the difference for this U.S. team. I've only seen one goalkeeper in American soccer circles 
like that from the spot, and it's Nick Romando. And Nick Romando wasn't the out and out. He wasn't the number mm. one for the U.S. Men's National Team. This guy's the number one for the U.S. Men's National mm-hmm. Team. Now, you could say it's a bit selfish. I think it's intelligent. Um, hey. He wants to play. Now, if you yep. want to play, you know you're not going to play at Arsenal. And there's a situation, a realistic situation, that heading into next season, European season, there will be no top-flight starting goalkeeper for the U.S. Men's National Team. Zach Steffen's going to be in the championship. Ethan Horvat, he was just informed by Luntown that he's not expected to be back. Gagas Lonina, he's a reserve league goalkeeper for Chelsea. And, well, Matt Turner sits behind uh, as the number two at Arsenal. So you want to get these games if you're Matt Turner, which is strange because Matt Turner was on our show uh, a while ago um, when he was playing with the Ningle Revolution and said it didn't matter, right? Uh, now he's in a situation where he thinks it matters, so he's trying to play as much as he can. I don't blame him in this instance. Uh, the moment it went to penalty kicks, I had, I mean, everybody who was here, um, we've gotten the production crew, uh, Mexico fans. They didn't mm-hmm. think it'd be an issue for Matt Turner. They felt pretty confident about the U.S. men's t- national team advancing. That's kind of the fame. That's kind of the uh, persona, the, the rep that he's uh, been growing when it comes to penalty kick shootouts. Hmm. All right, so there we have it. Uh, Matt Turner, the hero. Hey, real quick, before we move on to uh, another set of highlights, I-, I-, I feel compelled to ask you here about the rivalry because things got chippy, especially at the, end of the, at the end of the first half. We heard of an altercation between Matt Miazga and a staff member from the Canadian team uh, in the tunnel leading yeah, away from the time. field after yeah. the first 45 minutes. Uh, this is really starting to become a great, great rivalry. And I'm not talking about the play, Herc. I'm just talking about the intensity, which is what we really base rivalries on here in CONCACAF. No. I mean, Canada has to win. 1957, the last time they beat the U.S. on home soil, on U.S. soil, I should say. Mm-hmm. Canada has to win for this to be a rivalry. That's, that's a reality. Now, they're a very good team. They're growing, and they get under the skin of the U.S. men's national team at times, yes. But for it to be a rivalry... Like, you can say it's a rivalry with Mexico and the U.S. You have to win. You have to start winning. If not, mm. it's just talk. Okay. They did win in Canada. They did win in Canada. They're in World Cup qualifying, but we'll leave that there. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, 
Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So the U.S. is through to the okay. semifinals. They would, it's of course, get the winner between Panama and Qatar. Kirk uh, told us during the week that Qatar would be a, a likely upset bid here. 19 minutes in, Panama proving Herc wrong. How about that? Yoel Barcenas. Are you going to say the same thing when we do Guatemala versus Jamaica? Or Jamaica? Uh, I mean, Guatemala made it a lot closer than Qatar, buddy. Relax over there. <laughs> what do you mean relax? We were asked to pick an upset. Knowing yeah, that the favorites would go, go on. Barcenas says not today. From there was the Ismael oh. Diaz show. Excuse me. Into the second half, 56th minute. Just walks that home on the near post. Yeah, Diaz, I mean, the goalkeeper leaves the whole near post wide open. He's already leaning far post, catches him sleeping. He'll take that, his first of the night. Yep, but not his last. 63rd minute. Some pinball wizardry there finds its way to his feet, and Diaz makes it two. Yeah, the second ball that Diaz doesn't want to strike with his left foot, he takes an extra touch to make sure it goes off his right. It's an empty net, so it'll do. Celebrations well and on. Panama in cruise control. A few minutes later, Qatar turns the ball over. Diaz into the area. 4-0. Yeah, Qatar made it a little bit more competitive in the first half, but second half, I mean, this came very quickly. One of the fastest hat tricks you'll see ever anywhere. Don't defend your upset pick. Get out of here. Ismael Diaz making history. The fastest hat trick ever in the Gold Cup in just 10 minutes, besting Brian McBride's record from the 2002 edition of the tournament. All right, Herc, so we got Panama coming up. Obviously, a team that uh, is coming in hot after this 4 0 victory over Qatar. Get into the specifics for me. What specifically worries you from a U.S. perspective about the Panama matchup in the semis? That they're the best coach team. I mean, if there's one team that plays the way their manager expects, that really has the idea down, it's Panama. But in the group phase, they were toothless. In the group phase, they got by playing well. They just couldn't finish. They couldn't find their form. Well, guess what? They found their form. Uh, actually, the only game out of all the quarterfinals that wasn't even close. Uh, they pounded Qatar. They found their form. They found their confidence, their swagger. And now the best work team with a day of rest is going in to face the U.S. men's national team, a team that's not really played together, that's coming off extra time and penalty kicks that was physically and emotionally draining. This is a dangerous matchup for the U.S. men's national mm. team. Christensen has his team firing on all cylinders. There's some very good players on this squad. The midfield has a lot of quality, and I mentioned they were toothless. They have two goal scorers right now, Forjado and Diaz, that can score goals. They love their wing progressions. They do a very good job of keeping the ball. They make the opponent run, and they found their form. Hmm. Herc, I'm looking back at our tournament picks. I had Mexico to win it all. You had Jamaica to win it all, so Panama not really there. I know you say they're dangerous. How worried are you actually about Panama? Like, the U.S. is still a pretty heavy favorite here in the semifinals, even with its B team against the A team from Panama, right? Absolutely not. I mean, we thought they were heavy favorites against Canada, and look what happened. Uh, you allow the opponent to play, they will show you how good they are. And I think if you allow Panama to show you how good they are, they're going to hurt you more than Canada. It's a reality. They've got some very good quality on the ball. On the ball collectively and individually. 
Uh, it's a very good team, well worked. There is no team that's played together like Panama. And they're finding their form. Now, you mentioned I had them playing against mm-hmm. the U.S. I mean, my Final Four is still intact. Is your Final Four still intact? Yes, I believe so. The, the, way, the way you thought it would be. Mexico, Jamaica, Panama, U.S. No, I had Mexico and U.S. meeting in the semis. Okay. And I had Jamaica winning the go. group. But I got Jamaica, Panama. So I'm still going to get my final. I got my final four, just not in the wrong, right spot. Okay. Your boy got him in the right spot. All right. Producer Beto wants us uh, to move on. But uh, before we do get to Mexico, I do want to ask you this. What would you change from the U.S. lineup tonight? Anything for Panama? Yeah, I think Sandejas is going to take some time to refresh. Mm. They're going to give somebody like Kate Cowell an opportunity. I think Kate Cowell's done very well when he's come on. There's certainly a lot of things he could do better. And maybe there could be a case to be made that the reason he does so well when he comes on is because he's so physically gifted and he's coming on as a super sub. And defenses don't want to see a player like that. But I think he's earned the opportunity. Uh, and I think we're going to see some Brandon Vasquez and maybe a Jesus Ferreira underneath. There may be a, a change in play and system. And I think Jordi Mihailovic may come out of that midfield and we may see a change. I wouldn't be surprised if it's also Buzio there uh, being changed. And I think Sands will stay. But there's a few changes that I would make. I don't think this is the one thing that Greg Berhalter showed us that I think B.J. Callahan will stay with. There's no plan mm. B. We never saw a shift in formation. Uh, we've never saw a back line of three with two forwards. We rarely saw anything like that, so I don't expect to see it come semifinal times uh, either. Um, but I think they need to change. Not a lot of turnover, but definitely some. You just played 120 minutes and penalty kicks uh, with a day less of rest over a team that started subbing players around the 55th minute in their quarterfinal. U.S. against Panama, one of the semifinals at the Gold Cup. That one taking place at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego on Wednesday. That's one half of the bracket. What about the other half of the bracket? Let's start with Mexico against Costa Rica. This one, Saturday night at AT AT&T Stadium. We'll pick this one up five minutes in. Jorge Sanchez into the box, but can't finish at the near post. Yeah, should have done better there. He just can't get over the ball. Wasted opportunity. Memo Choa, big save in the eighth minute on Anthony Contreras, a early chance for Costa Rica. 21st minute, Costa Rican set piece trickles to the near post. Danger, danger, set piece worry for Mexico. Into the second half, still scoreless. Henry Martin into the box. Kendall Waston trying to make the tackle. Penalty called here, Herc, what do you think? That's the risk you take. That's the risk you take when you dive in like that. It's very close. He clips his foot. You can make a case for Waston, but it goes to the spot. How about the, the quality from Orbelin Pineda there at the penalty spot to make it one nothing. Mexico going to the bench in the 70th minute. The Chiquito Sanchez comes on for Luis Chavez. Henry Martin off for Santiago Jimenez. Piojo Alvarado would come on late as well and the subs would make the difference 85th minute santi from distance on that left foot not missing by much 86 minutes santiago jimenez the header denied mexico knocking on the door of the second piojo alvarado slick move combines with santiago jimenez alvarado all alone and chiquito sanchez the finishing touch what a goal herc 
It's a ridiculous combination play. Jimmy Lozano pushing all the right buttons with substitution. All three subs link up on this goal. Beautiful combination play between Santiago Jimenez, Alvarado, and it's Chiquito Sanchez, who shouldn't have been sacrificed, but he was. And he makes it work. 90th minute, some bad news for Mexico as Edson Alvarez limps off the field. But L3 would finish things out. Two nothing winners. Let's hear from Jimmy Lozano after the match. Que me dejó un gran sabor de boca el día de hoy, más allá de la victoria, no recibir gol. Me encanta no recibir gol. Creo que somos un equipo potente al, al ataque. Y si mantenemos la atención, la concentración, eh, seguramente que seremos, seguiremos siendo candidatos a, a, a avanzar y a, a conseguir nuevamente la Copa. Para mí los cambios entran a resolver a favor o en contra. Y hoy afortunadamente el segundo gol lo hacen todos los que, o tres jugadores que entraron de cambio y, y que pudieron finalizar una gran jugada. All right, time to welcome into the show our good friend and colleague, Mauricio Pedrosa. Time for another edition of Three Questions here on Football Americas. Mal, great to have you with us. Let's get right into it because we are running out of time. Yeah. The first question is, was this a convincing performance from Mexico? The word convincing doing a lot of work here, Mal. What do you think? Yeah, no, it was not. It was not convincing. They did what they had to do but I was not convinced that they actually took a couple of steps forward. It was not a full around good performance. I thought the first half was actually Costa Rica, the better team. Mm -hmm. The game mm -hmm. was played at what Costa Rica actually intended to do. Mexico was more reactive in, in the first 45 minutes. Now the second half was better during the highlight. Herc explained really well how the sub made an impact, but I just, I just didn't think it was a well-rounded performance by the team. Now, it was better from what we saw but there's still mm -hmm. a, a lot of room to grow. The reality here, Seb, is it wasn't convincing, but it didn't need to be. This Mexican national team at this state isn't about convincing. It's about doing what they need to do to advance to win. Now, in Costa Rica, it's true. Since El Aztecaso, that Hernán Mefer goal in the early 2000s in the Estadio Azteca, Costa Rica's only won one game. They've only won one game. And that game was the game that... Mexico almost doesn't make the 2014 World Cup, if not for a Graham Susi goal versus Panama, San Susi. Uh, amigo. Yes, your buen amigo. But every other game they played as of late has been tight. A one goal difference, if not mm. tie game and going into PKs. It's the first time they've won by one goal, and I don't know how long. Now, it wasn't convincing, but I repeat, it did not have to be convincing. Mm. Yeah. Convincing is too strong. Maybe we can say a little bit more comfortable than we would have thought. I think a lot of folks looked at that Costa Rica team and said, all right, Mexico doesn't usually beat this team by very yeah. many. Memo Choa, no saves in the second half. He did have to make the one save in the first half. I'm with you guys, though. That first half, especially considering that this is Costa Rica's B against pretty much what's left of Mexico's A, was very disconcerting. I thought Mexico would have no problems with this Costa Rica. And it's true, in that first half, Costa Rica was the more dangerous team and was pinging the ball around the Mexican midfield for a while. Do we have any wow. sense? Go on, Herc. No, well, dangerous Dangerous is, is very subjective because you just mentioned... I said more dangerous. They're saves. more dangerous in, than Mexico. In, in the second half. In, in the no, second I, half. but that's what, yeah. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Just in general, like, dangerous, if you think about it, I understand what you're saying because they got in or around. They made you feel yes. uncomfortable, uh -huh. for sure. And I agree with you. But I don't think Costa Rica ever proved to be dangerous. No, which has been a recurrent thing with this Mexican national team, this Jimmy Lozano version of the Mexican national team. 
opposing teams don't really need to do much right. to create something around Mexico's area. Uh, but again, and, and it's not that the bar is set really high. The bar is actually set really low. So mm -hmm. I don't know how far we are from seeing a convincing performance. Again, with the bar being so low, maybe they're close, but not at the high standards that we are supposed to hold this team. I, I mean, just really quickly before we move on, uh, just think about the convincing performances this Mexican national team has had over the of last course. two years. Of and course. you could maybe say Honduras, just Honduras, mm. right? Yeah. And that and, was just and, a change of a manager, to be honest. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it was Honduras that played their role uh, in that one as well. I said I wanted to see a response from the players. I think at least we got that. Not a convincing performance. But clearly they responded to the disappointment of the defeat against Qatar. Let's talk about the manager, because he does make some critical changes in the second half that do have an impact on this game. How much credit does Jimmy Lozano deserve for what we saw in Mexico's quarterfinal victory? Oh, I think he deserves a lot of credit. It doesn't mean that that's enough for me, at least, to consider that he has to, the the, the uh, interim tag has to be removed after the Gold Cup. But I do give him a lot of credit, and I'm not just going to go with what the players have said, that they feel more comfortable. I think Jimmy Lozano has done the things that are truly basic, going mm. back to fundamentals, right? If you are like Chiquito Sanchez, a good player, and I need someone like Edson Alvarez to play center back, then you're going to play, and you're going to play at the same, same position that you play at your club in Pachuca. That wasn't always the case with Tata Martino, and especially with Diego Coca. So I will give him a lot of credit with that. And also, the only reason, the, the, the second reason is that he hasn't really had that much time to work, but we've been in his press conferences and he has emphasized time and time again, listen, I'm not gonna work a lot on the field, but I'm gonna push hard watching clips, watching video, a lot of film study. And if with that is enough to convince the players that they, are, they can perform better collectively, individually, then you gotta give him some credit. Well, I think you have to give him all the credit. And this is just, I mean, think about this for a second. These same players, this same talent of players, the same group of players, perform very differently with Tata Martino and with Diego Coca. And all of a sudden, the same group of players with a different coach show a different attitude, a different approach, a different confidence to their game, and it shows. And we don't have to just see it in their play. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of hearing these well, players talk about it. That's I'm, all they talk about. So we could see the change in approach, and it's because of Jimmy Lozano. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say one last thing, though. Uh, this probably says more about the players than the coach. That mm. Jimmy Lozano, still not a consolidated manager, with just so little time, yes. we've seen a different team. Again, I think that says more about the players mm -hmm. than the coach uh, himself. How, how much of this, guys, is level of competition? Because you talk about Tata Martino, we're, we're judging him against World Cup competition. You talk about Diego Coca, it's against a USAA team that's uh. flying. Jimmy Lozano's successes here are against B teams in CONCACAF. B teams, guys. Yeah, but I'm sure if Jimmy Lozano, if you were to ask him, hey, we'll give you a run of World Cup qualifying, you get so many home games... Would you take that? He said, yes, I, I, I will take that. No because doubt. Yes, no doubt. So it doesn't matter if it's the B team, because you, you could talk about Tata Martino, what he played in World Cup. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, it was what? just Argentina. And, no, and, and what Poland about and before Saudi that? Arabia. And what about before What about that? qualifiers? Yeah, so look, uh, the level of play has something to do. At least Absolutely. those teams were the because A teams. Player, you need things to go well. Well, uh, hey, I have another one for you then. What about Diego Coca? 
Yeah. He played against Guatemala, was not Suriname. good enough. He played against Suriname, not good enough. Cameroon C. A weaker Jamaica team. Cameroon C, not even A or B, yeah. C. And the performance Guatemala was there. So you Mazatlan. gotta. Yes, yes I mean, yes, yes. the level is the level, right? It is what it is. You cannot do anything about it. Against this very same level of competition, Teams under Tata Martino and Diego Coca underperformed. So you definitely got to give Jimmy Lozano Not only underperformed, but they didn't show you that at least the effort, that at least the commitment was there. Again, going back to the players. No. That's also that's in the fine. players. That's fine. But if that's a change, who yeah. do we give credit for that change? It's Jimmy, Jimmy Lozano. Jimmy. Yeah. Hop One on thing I do like about Jimmy Lozano. Said, Don't be afraid. Lampard, Jimmy. You, guys are clearly, you guys are clearly driving. I, I'm in the back seat. <laughs> One thing I do like... One thing I do like is he at least seems to care, right? I can't tell you how many times I would see Tata Martino on the bench, seemingly in another world, managing Mexico, not standing up. Losano's mm -hmm. out there kicking every ball, heading every ball. Maybe it's a stupid thing, but from the outside looking in, it, 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 it feels like it's making an impact. It feels like it's making an impact. Let's get to the last question here. Oh, okay, quickly, Herc, quick. Oh, no, no, save your thought. We got, uh, we got plenty Go more ahead. shows here. Gold Cup. Last question. One of the big decisions that Jimmy Losano's had to take Edson Alvarez, do we think he's better as a midfielder or a center back? Mao? Uh, better as a midfielder, and this is not a compliment. Here's why he's better as a midfielder, because he's he hasn't been any good, and he's lost some very, very incredible balls. When he plays as a center back, those mistakes turn into goals or at least clear chances for the opposition. And we saw that game together on Saturday night. He also lost a couple of bad balls against Costa Rica, but then he had Cesar Montes. The Cesar Montes addition to this team is crucial, is paramount, and it makes Edson Alvarez a little more comfortable. I still like him more as a midfielder than as a center back. Here's the problem. I, I see a few things. The first thing I see is a player that is clearly let two failed transfers get mm. yes. he doesn't look like mm -hmm. the same Edson Alvarez mentally like the Edson Alvarez who took on that leadership role who I was told was the heir to Rafa Marquez this is a player that before had that chip on his shoulder and right now looks a little phased second as a center back I didn't mind him here's the reason he played center back recall that Cesar Montes was suspended for three games he couldn't be there for the group phase okay we understand that here's the second reason okay Jimmy Lozano doesn't trust him with the ball that's a big reason of why yeah, even when he played as a midfielder, he only protects the back line and he stays put. Very discreet performance versus Costa Rica. He wants Romo on the ball. He wants Chavez on the ball. He doesn't think he has salida limpia. He doesn't think he has a controlled uh, progression with the ball coming out of the back. So we're seeing a different Edson Alvarez right now. Better or worse, it's different. I think, he, I think we have this perception of Edson Alvarez. And you put the Rafa Marquez example. I get it. Uh, he's in a completely different class. Absolutely. There's no way to I'm talking about them. leadership. I understand yes. that. But even if you go to his Ajax last season, right, they don't see him as a player that can build from the back. No. And mm. it, no, they see him just like a third as a third center back. Yeah. And when needed, he's one of the other two center backs. So that's the that's the probably the misperception that we have regarding Edson Alvarez's ability to on ball. So there was a time, guys, where I don't think you could make the case to keep Edson Alvarez out of the Mexican lineup, right? And we talked about it at the World Cup. Whatever Tata Martino was thinking tactically, he's one of your best players. You got to get him on. I agree with you guys based on not just the performance in the quarterfinal, but basically what we've seen throughout the Gold Cup. This is 
not the same player. This is a player that very much lacks confidence. I think the, the defense got better without him. That central pairing of Montes and Vasquez looked pretty decent. I don't think the midfield, though, improved with him, and that's the biggest worry. Luis Romo was not the same player. Luis Chavez was not the same player, especially in that first half. So for me, if I'm Edson now, or if I'm Jimmy Lozano, I look at Edson in a way that I don't think I would have looked at him before. I have to actually ask the question, is this guy still a starter for Mexico right now, given the way he's playing? You, you mentioned a key, play, a key player there, excuse me. You mentioned Romo, Luis Romo. Here's the thing you have to remember. Jimmy Lozano used to coach Luis Romo in the under-20 team at Querétaro. Jimmy Lozano brought Luis Romo in as an overage player in the Olympics. Jimmy Lozano has started Romo in every single game, and he's been an important player for Jimmy Lozano in this Gold Cup. When they needed to sub somebody in that midfield, did he sub Luis Romo? No. He subbed everybody's national team darling, Luis Chavez, yeah. the best player in the last World Cup. Romo's here to stay. That impacts Edson a hell, hell of a lot more than it does Luis Chavez. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to. I mean, we have to see how fit he is. I know we're going to speak about that in a moment. Uh, I think there's another element to his play, which is the leadership role. There's a lot of intangibles about Edson Alvarez that, to me at least, mm. make him starter no matter right. what. Absolutely. If he's fit, he plays. He gives you different elements. He's the extension of the manager on the field. Yes, probably Jimmy Lozano is thinking Luis Romo is a better player than Edson Alvarez. He might think in that, that final third or going to that final third. third. Yeah, but I think his ideal starting 11 is Edson Alvarez, Luis Romo, and then just add Luis Chavez to that equation. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. So Edson Alvarez and Mexico into the semifinals of the Gold Cup. They, of course, would get the winner between Jamaica and the surprise of the tournament, Guatemala. This one, the uh, early game on Sunday. Pick it up in the 51st minutes. Jamaica had their chances, but hadn't been able to break through. They finally do. Damari Gray, what a pass, and Amari Bell the finish. 
Ah, that's a sexy ball by Damari Gray, who's been absolutely ridiculous for Jamaica. It's Bell's first goal in his national team career. He slots at home near post. This is a good finish. It's a hard ball, good reception, catches the keeper leaning, good finish near post. Kevin De Bruyne smiled with that pass. That's a <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne-esque pass. Guatemala, the ultimate underdogs, but they were not done. 79th minute, probably their best chance of the match. Attacking down the left flank, cross comes in. Alejandro Galindo, the header, Andre Blake the save. Yeah, I mentioned Andre Blake was probably one of the premier goalkeepers in this tournament. He's probably been the best goalkeeper in this tournament. Um, yeah, better than Matt Turner. Matt Turner. He's not had much to do. I just said he's not had much to do. Only penalty kicks. So from people or keepers that have had much to do, I would say it's Andre Blake. You can see Andre a different is about the hero there. Players, huh? Yeah, Jamaica one nothing over Guatemala. As we take a look at Jamaica's recent record. At the Gold Cup, of course, a finalist in 2015 and 2017. Mao, Herc picked Jamaica to win this tournament. As we look ahead to the semifinals, how confident are you that Mexico can get the job done? Are you talking to me or are you talking to Mao? You picked Jamaica I said to win the tournament. I said Mao. You picked them, so I'm asking oh, Mao oh, how confident. We know, we know how, how yeah. Herc feels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still confident that Mexico has... Uh, slight edge on Jamaica. Listen, we've, uh, we've touched a lot on how great these Jamaican players are. Uh, El Tridente was probably the best leading up to the tournament. Yeah, I don't think three. they have performed to the level that we expected. They haven't been bad. I just don't think they have, they have been great so far. Uh, but we saw what the Mexican team can do when Jimmy Lozano can start his ideal 11. There's a different level. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard fought. There are a lot of things that Jamaica do very, very well. And we've seen how fragile sometimes this Mexican backline can be. I still give Mexico a slight edge over Jamaica. I'm still confident Mexico is a favorite. Yeah, they're... they're Slight favorites only because of that midfield. The Jamaican midfield, I think, was giving up a lot to uh, Guatemala. Gave up possession pretty much. I think Guatemala got carried away, got ahead of themselves, and got in a game of transition with a better just Jamaican side with individual talent. Here's the thing you have to remember about Jamaica. They're very difficult to play against, and you mentioned the front three. Okay, they've been great. Uh, how about they the rest of the team? They can do better. They've been great. How about the rest of the team? Nine different goal scorers for Jamaica this tournament. Mm. That is insane. They have production from everywhere, and they've got one of the best, if not the best, goalkeeper in this tournament right now. A team that's defensively stingy going forward in transition can be lethal, but they'll be on a day less of rest. Mm. Uh, and they got in a very physically draining game of back-and-forth football with Guatemala. And by the way, shout-out to the Guatemalan just fan base, which was the highlight of this tournament. Very sad to see them go. But I think this is a pick em for me. And uh, that midfield gives Mexico the edge, but I still take uh, Jamaica there. Mal, oh. I think it was maybe oh. a, a couple shows ago, we talked about what the, the weakest link was for Mexico. We talked about right back. I think, I think both outside back positions you can kind of worry about, especially when you think about Damari Gray. He moves around a ton. Leon Bailey, he moves around a ton. The big question for me is, what does Mexico do with the outside back positions here? Do you, do you go back to Jorge Sanchez and just roll the dice there? Do you think Julian Araujo, who I don't think looked that good in his opportunity, is the guy to go? And then on the left side, yeah. do you go back to Gallardo? I, I would love to see Arteaga get a shot here, man. I know he doesn't get many opportunities, yeah. but a guy who's in Europe and who bets on himself and we want to see those guys succeed, I would love to see him get a proper test here in the Gold Cup. 
he plays in Europe, he bets on himself, but he hasn't delivered. He hasn't been good. He hasn't been better than Gallardo. And that's the bottom line. He hasn't been better than Jesus Gallardo. And if that's still the case, then Gallardo is going to start important games. Now, on the right-hand side, you've, you've heard me so many times what I think of Jorge Sanchez. Have to be fair. His game against Costa Rica wasn't his worst. He was actually, statistically, he was the best Mexican player on that field. Now, does that mean that he will be the same against Jamaica? Different kind of competition? Different kind of players that he's going to have to face? No. And especially when Jorge Sanchez sometimes looks better when he joins the attack, right? When he turns in another winger or is closer to Uriel Antuna. He's going to have to be very, very careful because if he leaves space behind him, then he's going to be the scapegoat again. You're going to have to start in both. Jorge Sanchez and Jesus Gallardo. Is that mm -hmm. a guarantee? No. Mm -hmm. Does that make me happy and, and, and make me feel safe? No, not at all. Here's another wrinkle with Gerardo Arteaga. He was also the same player that didn't go to the Olympics because he wanted time And out. who was the manager? And who was the manager? Jimmy Lozano. So remember that right there. And Gallardo, to Mal's credit, to Mal's point, he's been one of the better players since the World Cup. Um, so I don't see that moving at all. And the right-hand side... It really is pick your poison. I mean, you can say what you want about both players. They both struggle at times during this tournament, Julian Araujo and Jorge Sanchez. But I think Jorge Sanchez right now, Jimmy Lozano feels more comfortable with them. All right, so it's Mexico and Jamaica right there at Allegiant Stadium on Wednesday behind you guys. Mal, thanks for the time. We got to let you go. Great stuff as always. Mauricio Pedrosa, great friend of the show here on Football Americas. I know what Mal will be watching on Wednesday night, also along with the Gold Cup semifinals, of course. He'll be watching the ESPYs on ABC, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can vote now over on the website or using the QR code there on your screen. Rodman, congratulations. Welcome. What's it feel like to be headed to your first World Cup? get this question a lot. Um, <laughs> there's so many emotions. I think there's obviously countless amount of nerves, but um, there's so much excitement. I mean, this is such a big moment in women's soccer, and for me to be a part of it is insane, and I'm glad to have a great group behind me, too. You mentioned nerves. Could you describe the pressure, maybe, of being a first-time World Cup player? And on this team, where the expectations are just kind of so unforgiving and so high? Yeah, um, I think with this team, everyone expects success, um, obviously based off the past. Um, but there are a lot of, I mean, new players, a lot of connections that still need to be built before the first game. Um, so I think just the pressure of, like, doing well. And I think it's a lot harder than people think. Like, I feel like, oh, it should be guys should be blowing these teams out or we should be winning like it's a lot harder than that and I think with the diversity and the change um has been difficult but um honestly for me this is my first world cup so there may be less 
expectations for me because I've never been in this position. You seem like a pretty confident player, at least like the, the player that we see on the field. And I think a lot of people had you pretty much, if not sharpied and penciled into this roster. But before you get the call, like, do you have any doubts about being included? Oh, 100%. I think you don't know until you get that call. And as, as confident as I am and was before the call, um, you never know. Like, at the end of the day, your your fate is in Vlatko's hands, and um, he's going to be watching you. And if maybe he wants to go in a different direction or he doesn't like what he sees, there's always that possibility. So, I, I mean, I was crossing my fingers, but, the, again, there was no expectation with that. I was just waiting for the call. I wondered, too, about kind of the final run because it's so competitive for these spots and I think in a way that Vladko had not at least made public before he was very clear that like NWSL form was was going to not just decide who made this team but maybe who started for this team did that impact how how you played those those last few weeks those last few months yeah I mean I don't think our team got the results or ended the way we wanted to coming into this World Cup but um yeah, I think it's important to have those performances. I mean, um, Sav DeMello is a prime example of that. I mean, she was doing insane. She was doing amazing. She was a huge part on her team, and she scored goals, assisted, and did all that. So, I mean, that's it speaks for itself. But for me, again, I'm trying to improve every single game, and that's what I'd continue to do. So I remember an interview we did right after you got drafted. I don't even think you were on the East Coast yet. I think you were in Washington, but you were on, you were on the West Coast. Of course, we talked about your dad, Dennis Rodman. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that stuck out to me in that interview was you were, you were very clear not to distance yourself from your father, but to point out that you wanted to create your own athletic legacy. Mm -hmm. Why was that so important to you then? Um, I think it was important because, I, I mean, obviously, my dad made a lot of mistakes through his career, and he was kind of, I don't want to say the wild child, but he was. Um, and I think being a woman, um, coming from the Rodman name, coming from the NBA legacy of Dennis Rodman, um, it was important. I didn't want to have the comments of she's only here because of that. She's only here because there's potential in the last name. Um, that has always been imp important to me and will continue to be. But um, at the end of the day, I want the name to be Trinity Rodman and she earned it herself, not because she has that last name, but because she earned her way here. Do you feel like that was attached to you at some point in your career? Because I'll be honest, now, when people ask about you, they, they never mention your dad. When your NWSL career started, it was, oh, there's a player on the spirit, you know, who's Dennis Rodman's kid. Um, do you feel like the new contract, which was historic in the NWSL, now your own World Cup spot, like mission accomplished? You, you've, you've created your own legacy here? Not yet. <laughs> I think it's definitely helped, and I do agree with you there's it's definitely trinity rodman a lot of the times more so than dennis rodman's daughter um but i haven't accomplished nearly enough to have that name completely mm. yeah let's talk about your time with the washington spirit i live in dc so i follow the organization very closely tumultuous is probably a, a good way to describe the last few years and that's not all bad right there's been some some real highs there as well what has that experience been like for you as a professional and how has it impacted your growth? Yeah, um, there's been ups and downs for sure. Um, again, I always speak on the fact that like I had best rookie season I could have had at going to 
bottom of the table, barely scoring, um, and then back up again. Um, but yeah, the transition to being professional, the ups and downs, the consistency with it all um, has been extremely difficult. Um, but I do think this national team has given me a different mindset and a different sense of purpose um, with soccer in general. I think it's not just about the little things. It's not about one, one loss. It's about the big picture. And I think it's important to kind of think about it like that and improve every game and not dwell on the past. So um, that's all I think about is kind of moving forward and becoming a better player. I can't ask about the spirit and not ask about Ashley Sanchez. Um, what a dynamic duo. How did that click? When did it click? What makes it work? That is a great question. Um, I know we always joke around about the fact that it clicked immediately before we were even friends. Um, I was pretty quiet coming into like the locker room, everything. Um, and it was weird. It came so naturally, like before we had even had real conversations off the field, like we second nature to find each other through and have those connections on the field. And I mean, Again, it continues to improve with back heels to flicks to no look passes. It's if I knew the answer, I would love I would love to share it, but I really don't. Hmm. Uh, one of the things Vladko sent recently when he was asked about you was he wanted more ruthlessness. I watched you play in the NWSL. I'm sure there's some NWSL defenders who are saying, "Please, no more ruthlessness yeah. from Trinity Rodman." What did you take from that comment? Yeah, um, I think you notice a bit of a difference when I the games I've had for the national team and for NWSL, I'm, there's a comfort level with the NWSL that I haven't yet opened up here. Um, I think I'm still trying to find my role with this team because I think it, at the end of the day um, you're the same player but you have different roles on each team and for me I think I was playing very passive before and slowly I've, I've grown out of that but I think that comment came from seeing what I did in the NWSL and then seeing kind of the timidness coming into these national team games. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking to kind of open that up all the way and be the player that I am with the NWSL because that's who I am. You know, we keep hearing about the rest of the world catching up to the U.S. women's national team. What are your expectations for this World Cup? Um, my expectations are that we're the most ruthless team, we're never going to give up and we're going to get the title. Um, obviously the, the team has changed so much over the past couple World Cups, couple years, couple months even, but um, this team is something special and we want it more than ever, so I expect gold medal. Trinity Rodman and the U.S. women having their farewell match Sunday in San Jose against Wales. An ugly first half, 0-0. Trinity Rodman subbed on at the break. And what do you know? On the day we air her interview, she would be the difference. 76th minute. U.S. finally breakthrough. Sophia Smith in behind on a platter. How about that finisher? Yeah, you still got to be there. It doesn't matter if it's on the platter. You got to make that run, right place, right time. You got to do your part. She does, and that'll be your first. 87th minute. More from Trinity Rodman. Wales, a mess at the back. The first one was a tap-in. The second one, oh, it's just a bit special. We'll get to it eventually. Oh, it's coming. Trust me when I say it's worth the wait. Trinity Rodman, and Golasso. 
mean, all kinds of ugly in the box. It finally falls to Trinity Robin. No, she works for that, steals it, and look at this, places it side netting. So in the end, thanks to a Rodman brace, the U.S. get their fond farewell, 2-0 over Wales. Trinity Rodman, by the way, becoming the youngest U.S. women's national team player ever, her ever, to bag a brace. Impressive stuff there for the young attacker. More big news for the U.S. women's national team. Megan Rapinoe announcing her retirement at the end of the NWSL season, making this, of course, her last World Cup. She just turned 38 a few days ago, has won a couple World Cups, plus an Olympic gold back in 2012, and that's just the on-field legacy. Not to mention at all, everything she accomplished off the field. All of it combined made for a pretty emotional press conference on Saturday. It's with a really deep sense of peace and gratitude and excitement that I want to share with you guys. This is going to be my last season, um, my last World Cup and my last NWSL season. I could have just like never imagined um, where this beautiful game would have taken me. Um, I feel so honored to be able to have represented this country and this federation for so many years. Um, it's truly been the greatest thing that I've ever done. I'm just really grateful to be able to do it in this way. I understand that it is incredibly rare for athletes of any stature to be able to go out in their own way, on their own terms. Just wanted to do it now and honestly kind of get it out of the way before we go down to New Zealand. So we can focus on uh, the task at hand, which is winning another World Cup. All right, so congratulations to Megan Rapino on a career that is historic, but not quite yet over. One of the many accomplishments on her resume, she won an ESPY, actually multiple ESPYs, which is fitting because this year's ESPYs are coming up on Wednesday. And one of the categories this year is Sports Humanitarian of the Year. One of the finalists, from Major League Soccer, Austin FC goalie, Brad Stuber. Let's learn more. A strong glove from Brad Stuber. Making big saves on and off the pitch. That is what MLS goalie Brad Stuver has embodied, using his platform to advocate and provide resources for citizens in Central Texas. Stuver's actively involved in the Laundry Project, an initiative which holds events to provide free laundry services to low-income families. He's led nearly 20 total projects. The idea for clean clothes is kids get confidence from clean clothes when they go to school. When adults go to job interviews, having clean clothes makes all the difference in that interview. So all these little things kind of stuck with us and it's something that we want to continue to do. Stuver's also a board member for Equality Texas, the largest LGBTQIA advocacy in Texas, and Athlete Ally, a coalition of players across the world who come together and fight for equality in sports. Our sports team should reflect our communities, and that means inclusion of everybody, whether it's religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, um, no matter what, like everyone should be included. 
Tune into the ESPYs live Wednesday, July 12th on ABC to celebrate the greatest sports moments of the year. The ESPYs benefit the V Foundation for Cancer Research. To support, visit v.org slash donate. ESPYs Wednesday night then on ABC. Good luck to Brad Stuver. Great work there uh, for Sports Humanitarian of the Year. Also on Wednesday, this prime program uh, right here on ESPN. Plus, we will be live after the second of the two semifinals, which if things go to plan, and they don't always, uh, should be right around midnight Eastern on Wednesday, 9 o'clock Pacific. Our one-on-one -on -one will be with the captain and number 10 of the U.S. Women's National Team. Lindsay Horan. I jinxed us last time. Hopefully I've not jinxed us again. Come Wednesday night, that right there, Allegiant Stadium. Be home to Mexico against Jamaica. U.S. Panama, the other semifinal. We'll see you on Wednesday.